0: This is the complete story entitled Deck the Halls with Holiday Brawls, written by Aaron Robbins. This encounter is part of our seasonal message series archived under the heading Mr. Eerie's Trick or Treat Theories. This special episode is intended for daring ears aged nine and older. On a scale where one is not scary at all, the kids' scare score for this episode is a 4 out of 10. Learn more about this show by visiting MrEery'sMysterySeries.com and please share these scares with all the souls you know. A little word of mouth helps prevent an independent podcast from heading south. Delve deeper into the world of Mr Eerie's disturbing detective agency by subscribing as an Eerie Enlistee. Subscribers will receive at least two exclusive training episodes a month taken directly from the hard-to-keep-on-shelves field guide entitled Mr. Eerie's Empty Book of Everything. Your career at the disturbing detective agency awaits. Accept the challenge today by subscribing as an Eerie Enlistee in the Apple Podcasting app. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Mr. Eerie's Trick or Treat Theories. My name is Edward Eerie, Chief Uncoverneer at Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. If you're experiencing something odd or unusual, give my agency a ring and leave a message on the machine. We are well versed in all manner of conundrums. And now, another mysterious message left on the Disturbing Detective Agency's Mimic Free Machine. Thank you. Thank you for selecting Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. Please note that we are now accepting pre-orders for Mr. Eerie's bottomless Christmas stockings. Never worry about your stocking being overstuffed, because our hand-knit and expertly enchanted stockings can never get full. Dial extension 1225 for complete details. All others should leave a detailed account of your odd or unusual occurrence. Now, prepare yourself for the beep. Waits for no one.
2: Greetings, Mr. Eerie. My name, well, my name doesn't hold much significance. This isn't truly my tale. I stumbled upon it in the cellar of the house to which I've just relocated. I don't typically venture into cellars, for they are often too dimly lit and cluttered with sharp, rusty implements. Yet this time, curiosity got the better of me. So I turned the dented brass doorknob on the door adjacent to the kitchen and ventured into the darkness. I brought a small flashlight and used its feeble beam as I descended those time-worn wooden steps, each one protesting with a creak under my weight. Above the handrail, a clean harness of electrical wiring, assuredly installed and maintained by expert hands, led me down into the cold, damp chamber below. Oddly, there wasn't a single insect or spider to be found, a testament to the previous owner's predilection for pest control. However, the presence of bugs and electrical safety is not my primary concern or the reason for this message. It's the feathers that bother me. Turkey feathers, I believe enormous in size, akin to the fronds of a palm tree. Given their dimensions, I speculate these feathers I found must have been either props from a theatrical production or the ornaments of fans of flightless birds. I earnestly hope for the former. In any case, I stumbled upon one such feather at the border of my backyard, where the neatly trimmed grass gives way to rugged soil and the dense forest of oaks, beeches, and maples behind it. Then, a few days later, I discovered another giant feather nestled against the house. It lay upon the ground, half on the grass and half protruding through the narrow exhaust vent that extends into the basement. I pondered whether the feather had blown into the basement or, perhaps, been expelled from it. My curiosity once again drove me to explore. Within the basement's shadowy recesses, I uncovered no more of the oversized feathers. No, I found something much more interesting. Tucked away in a forgotten corner, within an old and dust-covered tool belt covered in unusually thick cobwebs, I found a book. It bore the semblance of a diary, as the inside cover was inscribed with the name Jackson Setter. That was the name of the middle-school-aged lad who lived here before I. The diary contained only a single entry. I surmise it prudent to share that entry with you now, in the hopes that you might provide guidance on its authenticity and offer counsel regarding these oversized feathers. Now then, if it suits your fancy, I shall proceed in a reading of Jackson Setter's journal. Let's see here. The card said to hit a few buttons here to change my voice, and I think that proper considering it's been a fortnight since I've been in middle school. Ah, yes, here we go. Test. Testing. Testing
3: testing, test, well then, that should about cover it. Now here's what I found in Jackson Setter's journal. Can you believe it? Our Halloween pumpkins were smashed, or more like crashed. Right in front of my house, in the gutter. The slimy guts of my friends and I's once-proud pumpkins oozed out from their cracked and broken walls. Josie, Marcus, and I had put so much effort into carving them just yesterday. We did a bang-up job, too. They looked great. And, get this, Marcus had an idea to stack all three of our pumpkins on top of each other like some kind of snowman made of jack-o'-lanterns. Turns out our stacking skills weren't quite up to snuff because when I left home this afternoon, all our pumpkins lay crushed in the road. Thankfully, Miss Wilkers, our ever-watchful neighbor, saw the whole tragedy unfold. She's always in her front yard fussing over her lawn and flower beds, so she had a front row seat to the jack-o'-lantern drama. According to her, a delivery person accidentally knocked them loose and a sudden gust of wind or something sent them tumbling down the steps and into the street. Miss Wilkers isn't young or fast, so all she could do was watch it happen. She recounted the tale of a shiny red SUV, decked out with a plastic Rudolph nose attached to the grill and foam antlers on the windows, plowing into our helpless pumpkins. The driver of the SUV, a roundish, elderly gentleman sporting wire-rimmed glasses, came to a halt and said he was sorry, claiming he hadn't seen them in time to stop. I guess it's one of those peculiar holiday mishaps. Unfortunately, Marcus and Josie's pumpkin bore the brunt of the collision. When they arrived later to get ready for trick-or-treating, both wore expressions of profound dismay. What do you mean they got smashed? Josie asked, staring at her sadly crushed pumpkin. They just rolled away, I said. We should have secured them better, maybe with some wires. You're the wire expert, Marcus chimed in. All right, all right, I conceded. I, not we, should have wired them together better. We can't go trick-or-treating with smashed pumpkins, Josie protested. It's bad luck, and I've already had my fair share of misfortune today. My computer crashed and garbled all the work on that song I was writing. That stinks, said Marcus, adding that he agreed with Josie. It's bad luck to trick-or-treat with a smashed pumpkin. We can't risk it. Not tonight. Well, what do you want to do about it, I asked. An exchange of glances passed between Josie and Marcus. "Well," They both started. We could walk to the lot and replace them. But it's Halloween, I reminded them. We'll be late for trick-or-treating. True, said Marcus, but we can get into costume now, head down to the Lawson's lot to get fresh pumpkins and then trick-or-treat on our way back. That way there's no bad luck. Exactly, said Josie. Fine, it's a deal, I said, but no carving. You can decorate them with permanent markers or something. And so we all rushed inside to put on our Halloween costumes and prepare for a speedy trip to find replacement pumpkins. Getting into my costume was a piece of cake, just a pair of coveralls and one of my dad's old electrician tool belts. Marcus emerged from my room in a button-up striped shirt with a name patch that had his dad's name on it, which is also Marcus. What's your costume? I asked. A plumber? He grinned and raised a long metal spray wand. I'm an exterminator. Like father, like son, I said with a chuckle. I could say the same, Marcus replied, eyeing the wire cutter that said setter hanging from my belt. Moments later, Josie strolled out of the hall bathroom, holding a microphone and wearing an array of mismatched thrift store clothes. Are you a hippie? I inquired. She pointed at the microphone. No, not at all. I'm a starving artist, she declared. That's not a costume. Marcus quipped. Really, why not? Josie asked. I decided to interject my two cents. Because, Josie, you're already a starving artist. You can't dress up as what you already are. You have to dress up as something you'd like to be. Oh, right, so you aspire to follow in your parents' footsteps, Mr. Electric Boy and Anti-Spider-Man, she teased. She had a point, and after a brief moment of tension, we all shared a laugh and headed off for Lawson's pumpkin lot to get replacement pumpkins. Under the darkening orange sky of Halloween, I strolled down the sidewalk, flanked by Josie, the starving artist, and Marcus, the exterminator, A few houses down, we passed by a quaint single-story residence that had a pristine white picket fence and wooden shutters framing the windows. There were no Halloween decorations in sight, but a delicious aroma wafted from within. Can you guys smell that? I asked. Yeah, it smells like a theme park during winter break, Marcus said. It smells like gingerbread cookies, Josie said, eyes closed and nose to the sky. Pretty weird, I said. Handing out gingerbread cookies on Halloween, then making sure to state that I wasn't complaining and would gladly eat them. Josie and Marcus nodded their approval. After pumpkins, our next stop is this house, Josie declared. As we continued down the sidewalk, we passed a house with fake gravestones in the front yard. These gravestones might have been eerie or even scary on their own, but the owner had adorned each one with colorful striped ribbons and plump bows on top. Marcus raised an eyebrow and remarked, Now, this house knows how to decorate, he said. You've got to mix holiday decorations, so you only have to decorate once. Adding that his dad always said one should work smarter, not harder. You think they'll leave the tombstones up for Christmas? I asked. No way, Josie said. Why not? Asked Marcus. They've already put them up. They're like festive concrete slabs or something. Josie turned her head as if revealing some self-evident truth. "Because." she explained. You can add a touch of Christmas to Halloween, but you can't sprinkle Halloween into Christmas. Why not? I asked. Because holidays are one way. Everything leads up to them, and once they're over, you can't look back. You can only look forward. It made sense, even if I had some doubts. Nevertheless, we continued to the end of the block and arrived at the Lawson Pumpkin Patches parking lot. When we got there, a prominent sign out front left no room for doubt or debate on the lot status. It was undeniably closed for the season. See, said Josie, you can't look back. Once a holiday begins, it's already over. Guess we're out of luck, Marcus said, his disappointment evident in his tone. Looks like we're in for a night of bad luck. No way, I replied, determined to turn things around. We're not giving up, not yet. Then I paused, remembering a pick-your-own-pumpkin patch up the road. What's that farm place up ahead called? The Christmas tree farm? Josie asked. No, I corrected her. It's not a Christmas tree farm. It's a pumpkin patch. Up the road? That place with the old barn? Marcus asked. Yeah, that one, I said. I'm pretty sure it's a Christmas tree lot, Marcus insisted. Come on, guys, it's been a pumpkin patch forever, I maintained. There's a sign with a big pumpkin on it, and they have that apple orchard behind it. Yeah, you mean the one with the cut your own Christmas trees and the giant North Pole thing? Marcus challenged. No, you guys, it's a pumpkin patch, I said. Well, I'll bet you it's not, said Marcus. Yeah, Josie chimed in. I'll bet you the first house of candy that it's not a pumpkin patch. You're on, I said. If it's a pumpkin patch, then I get your candy from the first house. We chuckled as we continued our journey down the road. Eventually, the road lost its sidewalk, and a few hundred feet after that, the dirt trail alongside it ran out as well. We took to a bluff above the road, our feet making a path in the tall, dried grass. Just as the sun began to dip below the horizon, we arrived at a makeshift signpost marking a gravel road. I win, I exclaimed. Right there, see? It says, Pumpkin Patch. I pointed triumphantly, only for Marcus to burst my bubble. Look at the bottom, he said. And he was right. Below the main sign, another one had been tacked on, and in handwritten letters, it read, Now Offering Christmas Trees. What? When did they add that? I asked. Last year, said Josie. Ha ha, you both lose, Marcus teased, which means I get your candy. Tie goes to the no one, I said, and you get nothing. Forget the bet. Let's just hope they're open. "'said Josie with a glimmer of hope in her voice. "'The gravel crunched beneath my feet "'as I walked onto the small road "'leading toward the pumpkin patch "'that was now selling Christmas trees. "'The moon was rising in the sky "'and a light breeze rustled leaves "'lining both sides of the small road. "'It's freezing out here,' "'said Marcus, walking along the left edge of the road. "'Speak for yourself,' Josie said from the other side of the road. It's hot over here and I'm burning up in this starving artist costume. It's not a costume, Marcus said. You're just wearing your normal clothes and holding a microphone. Yeah, which I wouldn't have brought. If I'd known we'd be walking a mile to a Christmas tree farm. It's a pumpkin patch, I said without missing a beat. As we continued down the road, the gravel gradually gave way to dirt, etched with irregular ruts. Approaching the summit of the hill, The Pumpkin Patch's barn came into view, starting with just the rooftop. But as we climbed the slope, the entire structure emerged before us. The barn had seen better days. Its wooden exterior was worn, riddled with gaping holes as though cannonballs from an unseen pirate ship had shot holes right through it. It looks like it's been used for a target practice by the world's worst bowler, Marcus observed. Sure does, Josie said. There were no people or pumpkins where the barn met the road, but there was an old faded sign that read pumpkins and apples. Below it, an arrow pointed to the other side of the barn. I went first, and Marcus and Josie followed behind me. We crept around the barn looking for pumpkins and people. As I turned the corner, an odd smell reached my nose. It smelled like fresh soup you'd never want to eat. It reminded me of pumpkin pie if pumpkin pie smelled like spilled beans. As we cleared the barn's edge, we saw what was making the air stink. On the far side of the barn, picnic benches were turned over on their side, and all around them laid hundreds of squashed pumpkins, their insides reduced to a gooey, stringy mess. Hey, guys, look at this, I said. They're all smashed. Josie walked over to where I was standing. Whoa, she said. This happened... Recently. Who would do this? Marcus asked as he pulled seeds from the slimy mess. Halloween hooligans, I said. People that have no sense of holiday spirit. Monsters, agreed Josie. As we started to assess the damage to the pumpkin patch, a sharp and sudden impact hit the back of my neck. Ouch! A shiver coursed down my spine. I turned around bewildered, and asked, "'Did you guys just throw a snowball at me?' Marcus and Josie looked equally puzzled. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I spotted something white and blurry hurtling toward us. "'Duck!' I yelled. Marcus and Josie dropped to the ground, just in time to evade a massive snowball hurtling toward them. It whined like a teapot just about to boil as it sailed by and then smashed into the barn with a resounding crack." We all sprinted for the side of the barn as two more snowballs whizzed over our heads. Get inside, Marcus shouted, pointing to an open door on the far corner of the barn. So we rushed inside, narrowly avoiding another cannon-sized snowball. The air inside the barn was heavy with the scent of hay and old wood. The only light was coming through the holes in the far wall, where beams of stale blue shined in like a hundred searchlights searching for escaped prisoners. Who's throwing snowballs at us? Marcus asked. I have no idea, but man, they've got an arm, I replied. You guys are missing the point, Josie interjected. We all turned our attention to her, waiting for her revelation. It doesn't snow anywhere around here, she pointed out. She was right, the nearest snow was a couple hours away. Whoever was responsible for the attack had either driven a long way to get it or... Just then, a thought occurred to me. Maybe the pumpkin patch trucked it in, I said, as like a goodbye to Halloween and hello to Christmas. Maybe, said Josie. Seems like it would have melted by now. Yeah, said Marcus. And it seems like there'd be people playing in it instead of throwing it at us. High schoolers, I said. Probably those little monsters, said Josie. As we exchanged thoughts, a gaping hole exploded in front of us, showering us with icy shards, I staggered backward, disoriented by the unexpected explosion of snow. Marcus tripped over something in the dark and hit the ground with a muffled thud. Are you okay? Josie exclaimed. I could see the glint of her microphone swinging in the moonlight as she ran over to help the downed exterminator. Just then, a new scent wafted through the barn's interior, a pungent odor of something rotten and stale, like a lunch sack left out in the sun for too long. What is this stuff? Marcus asked, holding up his hands, which were now coated in mealy mush. That's disgusting, Josie exclaimed, pinching her nose shut. Glinting light off an object on the ground caught my eye. Bending down, I picked it up. It was a little bigger than a baseball and smooth. It's an apple, I said, looking around, a pile of them, and rotten from the smell of it. Marcus clambered to his feet and grabbed his exterminator's wand from the mushy pile. Why would they leave a pile of rotten apples in here? They must be using this place as a dumping ground for whatever they want to get rid of, I said. Then, suddenly, a quick gust of air shot past me, ruffling the ends of my hair. Did you feel that? Feel what? Josie asked. Like a blast of air, I said. And then it happened again. A puff of fast air blew past me. I felt it. Josie said, something is flying past us. A strange rustling noise came from the sidewall of the barn, and we realized the source of our hair-raising experience. Rotten apples were being launched from somewhere behind us and, flying past our heads, some of them making it through the large holes in the barn's side. It's apples, I yelled. We need to get out of this barn, Marcus yelled, his eyes scanning for an exit. We've got to get out of this pumpkin patch, I said. As we cautiously retreated toward the barn's back entrance, I heard Marcus attempting to console Josie. It's going to be okay, Josie, he said. You just hold on to my shoulder and I'll guide you out. Who are you talking to? Josie yelled from across the barn. Jackson, is your hand on my shoulder? Marcus asked, his voice edging toward panic. No. I said, is yours on mine?" Just then, I heard a scream. It was Josie. In an instant, terror engulfed me as unseen forces latched what felt like a metal pole over my shoulder and pulled me to the ground. I tried to move, but I was pinned to the floor by a big metal rod. Marcus rolled over toward me, crashing into my side. I could see another pole pushing him along the ground. A second later, Josie joined us. We cried out in unison. Then. The beams of moonlight coming into the barn were blacked out, and I became aware of an ominous presence lurking over the top of us. Those aren't black poles, I thought. Those are giant spider legs. I turned around and found myself face to face with a pair of colossal black eyes, with several smaller ones on each side. Between the eyes, a thicket of what looked like coarse fur led down to curved fangs. I could hear an odd sound coming from between them. Click, 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 click. I screamed and giant legs moved forward like picks of black steel dancing around me. Moonlight from the barn's broken walls streamed in, revealing a giant black spider the size of our minivan. I screamed again, hoping the giant beast would back off. It didn't retreat. Instead, the spider lowered itself, seemingly poised to pounce on me. However, before it could... A snowball came hurtling into the barn, striking the spider just below one of its eyes. It responded with an angry series of clicks and moved back into the darkness of the barn. A second later, a volley of apples whizzed past me, flying through the holes in the barn, seemingly directed toward whatever was outside. We need to make ourselves appear as large as possible, Marcus stammered, his voice quivering with urgency. We have to intimidate it. That's for when you encounter a bear, not a giant spider, Josie replied. What's the plan, guys? Do we stay put or run? I asked. I'm in favor of running, Marcus declared. Get ready, I said, on the count of three. One, two, but we never made it to three. Before we could bolt from the barn to escape the spider, one of its legs tripped me, sending me tumbling to the ground. I heard Marcus and Josie hit the ground not far from me. Then the black spider legs pushed me like a giant toothpick, rolling an olive across a plate. I felt like I was being enveloped. I attempted to move, but my limbs were being ensnared in thick strands of spider silk. We're being cocooned, Josie screamed. It's going to eat us, Marcus cried out. Before I could respond, the spider leaped from the ground, pulling us behind it like silk duffel bags being lifted off the ground by a rescue helicopter. But we weren't being rescued, we were being trapped. Luckily, our heads were free from the silk, and I was able to see the moonlight grow brighter as we were carried outside. Above the fields, the spider reached out its black legs and fastened all three of us to an abandoned light pole. We were hanging like a bag of food you didn't want a bear to get. There we hung, above the pumpkin patch where the slimy orange turned to needly green. On the other side of the field in the distance, I could see a snow-covered landscape. Rows of Christmas trees stripped of their needles lay uprooted or snapped in half. Cobwebs streamed from broken branches and rotten apples decorated the ground. A massive white figure moved amidst the ravaged forest of trees, When it stopped, I could see it clearly. It was a giant snowman, the size of a hot air balloon, but made of colossal white boulders of snow. The behemoth monster rolled its midsection forward. Arms that looked like telephone poles reached forward and scooped up basketball-sized snowballs. A few moments later, a cold wind blew through our perch. We swung around, our silk sacks bumping into each other. Then, a second later, a deep whirring sound filled the air as a stream of snowballs rocketed past us, colliding with the barn. Some of the snowballs exploded into a flurry of white flakes which blanketed the field of smashed pumpkins. Others broke through adding more holes to the barn side. A minute later, a retaliatory volley of apples flew back toward the towering white figure. Dozens of them flew through the air like a swarm of arrows fired from a castle wall. The apples pelted the giant snowman, sending clumps of snow falling to the field below. They're fighting, Josie exclaimed, unintentionally shouting her remarks right into my ear. It's a holiday brawl, said Marcus, and we're caught in the crossfire. Gotta get out of here, I said, before they eat us or freeze us. Can you tear through the silk? Josie asked while struggling to loosen the cobweb's hold. No, Marcus replied. It's as strong as wire. Just then, an idea struck me. Marcus, I said, can you reach the wire cutters from my tool belt? I can see them, Marcus responded. But they're about to fall out. Just as he spoke, a snowball struck the light pole, causing us to swing. Oh, no, Marcus exclaimed. They fell. I've got them, Josie yelled. I felt the tension ease as Marcus and Josie took turns cutting away the webbing around me. When my arms were finally free, I retrieved the wire cutters and began to cut Marcus and Josie free. We're going to drop to the ground, I warned. After I cut this strand, we're going to fall. It'll be okay, said Josie. There's nothing but pumpkin guts and pine needles down there. On the count of three, I said. Just cut it, Marcus yelled. And so I did. We dropped and landed on bales of snow-covered hay. It was a harsh impact, but thankfully everyone was okay. Let's get out of here, Marcus urged as I ducked below a hay bale and checked myself for injuries. We can't, Josie said, pointing towards the far end of the battleground. We're fenced in and the gravel road is over there. We could make a run for it, Marcus proposed. We'd be easy targets for snowballs and apples, I cautioned. We have to find a way to stop the fighting, Josie insisted. Fine, said Marcus. How do we do that? I scanned the pumpkin patch slash Christmas tree farm, searching for a solution. Look, over there, I said, pointing to the middle of the lot where a towering pole stood. Hey, it's the North Pole, Josie exclaimed. She was right. In the dead center of the battlefield, there was a massive pole that looked like a giant candy cane, without the crook. A sign, nearly knocked over, read, North Pole. It stood right at the dividing line between the two opposing holiday forces, surrounded by piles of snowball shrapnel and shreds of rotten apples. It looked like the spider had tried to cocoon the pole because there was a large ring of webbing at its base that tapered up to a point at the top a perfect cone of cobwebs from bottom to top. As I looked at it, the shape reminded me of something. It looks like a Christmas tree, I said. A Christmas tree of cobwebs? Josie replied. I looked at Josie, and in her starving artist eyes, I saw we had the same idea. What's the plan here? Marcus inquired. Josie pointed towards the base. We'll run around the bottom, take turns drawing attention to ourselves, and then climb the webbing to the top. "'And what will that accomplish?' Marcus questioned. "'They'll throw stuff at us, and that'll decorate the tree with snowballs and apples,' Josie explained. "'Like ornaments.' "'And that's going to do what, exactly?' Marcus asked. "'They'll witness the magic of a holiday mashup. Josie said. "'Exactly.' I agreed. "'They've got to come together, or we'll all be torn apart.' Marcus seemed ready to voice his skepticism at what was admittedly a cheesy plan when Josie darted towards the middle of the field and Marcus and I followed after her. We reached the North Pole and paused to catch our breath. We'd moved so quick I didn't think the spider or the snowman had seen us, but who could be sure of anything amidst the barrage of objects flying through the air? We need to grab their attention, urged Josie commencing her climb up the silken Christmas tree. Hey, you, she hollered at the monsters. Here I am, do your worst. Neither the spider nor the snowman noticed Josie. I wondered why not. Maybe a starving artist isn't a threat. If they only knew how true her voice was, they'd know someday she wasn't going to be starving. I don't get it, Josie said. They won't look at me. They're preoccupied with fighting each other. She was right. The holiday giants had become so self-absorbed that they failed to see the humans right in front of them. "'Well, let's just run for it,' Marcus declared, jostling me as he began to run for the exit. A foot or so from the tree he tripped, and his exterminator's wand flew into the sky. The long copper tube glinted in the moonlight. It must have caught the spider's attention because the focus of its apple fire shifted to Marcus.' Marcus! I screamed. Run! Climb up the tree! Marcus ran toward the cone of cobwebs and leapt into the air. I think he yelled, Trick or treat! Smell my deet! As he grasped onto the tree and began to climb, but I can't be sure. Using me as support, Marcus began to ascend the web tree toward the top while brandishing his exterminator spray gun high in the air. Soon apples were flying at the tree and hitting the webs with force. This gave me an idea, and I joined Marcus on the climb. "'Hey, you!' I screamed at the snowman while holding my wire cutters above my head. "'No more Christmas lights for you! I'm cutting off your power supply permanently!' The snowman paused, groaning and visibly upset. He leaned forward and launched a snowball in my direction." I climbed up and out of the way before it collided with the tree. Marcus and Josie met me at the top. We looked down expecting to see a cone of cobwebs decorated for both holidays, but the tree was bare. They're not sticking to the webs, Josie said. Just then, Marcus climbed as high as he could and yelled at the spider. Is that all the spirit you have? Rotten apples? No wonder all the pumpkin patches are filled with Christmas trees. Then he turned to the snowman and laughed, and then yelled, Snowballs? Really? Even my freezer has more holiday spirit than you do. The battlefield was quiet for a moment, and then it erupted with newfound activity. Pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns flew towards the trees. Josie and I climbed down to the middle and ducked and dodged the incoming fire. Then the sweet smell of cookies filled the area as gingerbread men hurtled through the air at the tree. We climbed back to the top, dodging holiday decorations as we made our way skyward. At the top, I looked down at the tree. Beneath me was a cone of webs adorned with a perfect blend of jack-o'-lanterns and gingerbread cookies. I thought the bombardment would stop, but it didn't. Somehow, our holiday mashup didn't seem to be enough. It's not working, Marcus said. And they're going to keep hurling objects at us until we're buried under the holidays. I can't believe I'm going to be killed by cookies and pumpkins, Josie said. I thought back to all the times I'd decorated my room for the holidays. I'd had a jack-o'-lantern nightlight and a small ceramic Christmas tree with little plastic lights. I remembered when January would come, I wouldn't want to put them back, but eventually I had to. And the last thing I'd put in the box was the tree topper. Every tree has to have a star, I thought while looking at my friend, the starving artist. "'We need a star,' I replied. "'A star for the top of the tree.' "'Where do we find one?' Marcus inquired. I looked at Josie. "'Remember the song you were working on?' I inquired. "'The one that got erased?' she asked. "'Yes, that one.' "'What about it?' "'Well, it's time for you to go from being a starving artist to a rock star.'" And with that, Josie climbed to the top of the tree and raised her microphone in the air. Marcus and I held on to her feet so she wouldn't fall. Even though her mic wasn't plugged in, she sang loudly. Some might say like an angel. As her voice rang out through smashed pumpkins and withered trees, the North Pole tree began to sparkle with all-holidays light. Josie's voice joined the holidays together in a moment of merry melody. Then a thin fog enveloped the tree and the farm below. When Josie stopped singing, the fog cleared. We climbed down, the monsters were gone. Where there was once chaos, we found rows of pumpkins waiting to be carved and Christmas trees in perfect rows with branches ready for ornaments. We saved Halloween, Marcus said. No, we saved Christmas, said Josie. We saved the season. I said as I picked out a pumpkin and began the walk home. On the way, trick-or-treaters walked past us, unaware of the holiday brawl that had just unfolded at a patch and lot nearby. Close to home, I saw a superhero eating a gingerbread cookie outside the house with the picket fence. "What are you guys supposed to be?" he asked, looking at us. We looked at each other. Our costumes were a mess of cookie crumbs and pumpkin seeds. "We're the holidays." said Josie. Well then, said the superhero, Merry Halloween and Happy Christmas. You guys want to get cookies? Josie asked. No way, said Marcus. Yeah, I said. I'm holidays out, if you know what I mean. Me too, said Josie. Let's go get pizza. Pepperoni? asked Marcus. I was thinking of turkey, Josie said with a smile. That's not a thing, said Marcus, Wouldn't want Thanksgiving to feel left out now, would we? I said. Turkey, huh? said Marcus. Well, if anyone could make that work, it'd be us.
2: Testing. Test. Okay, well, there you have it. In perusing the aforementioned journal, Mr. Eerie... I find myself grappling with an enigma of perplexing proportions. It resonates as the whimsical musings of an imaginative youth deeply ensconced in holiday fervour, yet the inexplicable presence of ethereal feathers leaves me utterly confounded. Please, let us not entertain the notion that a colossal entity lurks just beyond my domicile, poised to commence its otherworldly struggle with both Christmas and Halloween themselves. But... I will leave the final assessment of that to your reply. Thank you, and may I say, happy Turkey Pizza Day, if such a holiday exists.
1: Dear journal reader who did not leave their name, the presence of large feathers is cause for some concern, especially among those who have an unease with oversized holiday encounters. Luckily for you, the presence of feathers from what is undoubtedly a mega meleagris gallopavo, also known as a giant gobbler, or simply by the phrase most commonly uttered when people see one for the first time, which is, wow, now that's a big turkey. Giant turkeys almost never fight over the holidays. In fact, many of them are so fearful of being stuffed that it causes them to shed some feathers and fly north to a secluded forest where they can enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday away from the dangers of pizzas and pumpkins. While the presence of feathers in your yard does indicate the giant holiday bird was there, I doubt it will be bothering you anytime soon unless you try to feed it cornbread or stuffing, which I would strongly suggest you refrain from doing, unless you are looking for a lot of mid-holiday trouble. In good standing, Mr. Edward Eerie, Chief Uncover Near, Mr. Erie's disturbing detective agency.
0: And while that concludes another message from Mr. Eerie's mystery series and our original series of Halloween messages, it's not the end of our appointment. If you've enjoyed this broadcast and would like to keep independent detective agencies like ours happy and haunt-free, please leave a rating or review and share this show with everyone you know. If you are ready to take a deeper step into the world of Mr. Eerie, consider becoming an Eerie Enlistee subscribers will be assigned at least two exclusive training episodes a month, taken directly from the hard-to-keep-on-shelves field guide entitled Mr. Eerie's Empty Book of Everything. Get ready for a roller coaster ride of sips and surprises that will leave you thirsty for more. Your career at the disturbing detective agency awaits. Accept the challenge today by subscribing as an eerie enlistee in the Apple podcasting app. Your support is more valuable than you know and would mean the world to our agents. Thank you for listening, and as always, we wish you an undisturbing day.